0: Welcome to A Hand Up, a Habitat for Humanity leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Willoughby. Today, I'm joined by Ms. Cynthia Jenkins, the president and CEO of Southern Crescent Habitat for Humanity, covering Clayton, Henry, and Fayette counties here in Georgia. She is also a city councilwoman for the city of Noonan, and we have a wonderful discussion taking place. You do not want to miss this. Well, Cynthia, good morning. It's good to see you.
1: Good morning. How
0: are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing very well. Thank
0: you. Fantastic. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Of course. Uh, I didn't announce this in the introduction, but it's worth noting you're also our newest board member to the Habitat for Humanity of Georgia board. And uh, we are excited to have you and uh, the expertise that you bring. So, um, Cynthia, just for you know, I feel like, uh, I mean, you've been in the Habitat Network here in Georgia for. Over five years now, correct? Yeah,
1: almost six, I September. Yes,
0: yeah, so I was thinking it was, we are almost to six years. So um, for those who don't know you, which I don't imagine there's a lot of people in Georgia who don't know you, <laughs> but um, at least that's the way it seems, because I feel like every time I talk to you, you're like, I know somebody here. I, I've never met, uh, you know, you're, you're all over the place. Um, can you introduce yourself to, to folks who are in the Habitat Network who may say, I don't know who Cynthia
1: Jenkins is? Um... Very simply, I'm Cynthia Jenkins and a lifelong um, Georgian and uh, have a background in architecture and um, construction and came to the Habitat Network in 2017, um, becoming the CEO of Southern Crescent Habitat for Humanity and I love what I do. Um, And um, you mentioned my city council work, I've been on the Noonan City Council since 2004 I'm a sworn in, um, and I am originally from Noonan, so I came home. I tell people that I literally moved out of my parents' house into a dorm at Georgia Tech and then out of a dorm into um, my grandparents' house and bought it from my parents. So. That's awesome. <laughs> so I am a Noonanite through and through.
0: And so mentioning that, uh, this is... You have, to me, a fascinating history. I feel like I learn something new about you every time I talk to you. So you mentioned going to Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. But you didn't just casually go to Georgia Tech. You also have an architecture background,
1: correct? Yes, Yes, I do.
0: Tell me about that, because you worked in commercial architecture for a while, right?
1: I did. Um, My very first job in high school was with Headley Construction here in Noona, Georgia. I had... um, Uh, the backstory is that I had pilot dreams. I wanted to be, you know, I saw Top Gun and I thought, hey, (laughs) I'm going to be a pilot. And uh, so I knew I wanted to go to college for that. And I was like, well, what do I need to do to prepare myself in college? And I thought, well, I'm going to fly a plane. I need to know how it works. So my original dream had been aerospace or aeronautical engineering. Okay. And so I took a drafting class in the Cowarty County School Systems. East Cowita High School at the time was the, was the one with that program, and mm-hmm. that's where I was slated to go to school. And the um, course was set up where you had mechanical drawing the first semester, and the second semester was architectural. Right. Well, At the time, I had been um, a cheerleader in high school, but my former gymnastics teacher, um, Coach, he, he asked me, he said, so what are you going to do after school? I said, I'm going to go to to the Navy, and I'm going to mm-hmm. go to college first and be a pilot. He said, are you tall enough for that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Boy, what a downer on that. What a-
1: and, and so I said, really? I said, they, you think they got height requirements? I said, the recruiter didn't tell me that. He said, that's not his job. <laughs> his job was to get you to go and join the Navy. So I literally went to the Cowarty County Public Library, which mm-hmm. had been a second home for me at that time. Um um, I knew all those people over there, and they yeah. let me into the special collection where there was some, some um, federal guidelines mm-hmm. for military and that kind of thing. And, and sure enough, you had to be five foot three and a and cor- a third oh, no. to be a pilot, and a five foot and a half inch. So oh I was too short. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! But I fell in love with the architecture okay. side. You know, when we had gotten to that second semester and we're drawing houses and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And this was a junior in high school, my okay. junior, and. Um, I mean, my teacher let me keep my my drawing taped down to the desk mm-hmm. and all of that. I come in early, stay late, get my dad to come pick me up, and just really fell in love with architecture. Awesome. Um, and then I went to Governor's Honors um, for design mm-hmm. and met a lot of really cool people. And this was right before the Olympics, of course. So I had... One of our projects was to go to the city of Atlanta and to design several things associated mm-hmm. with the Olympics and um, as practice projects, and then I got into Georgia Tech, Wow! and um, I really enjoyed the program. Um, it is as hard as everybody had said it would be. <laughs> <laughs> never, right. Yeah, I've
0: never heard anybody say, like, oh, it's a breeze.
1: No, yeah. it's yeah. not. And then I made things harder by still being a cheerleader while I was there. Uh, Right. Uh,
0: Also cheerleading at Georgia Tech. So you're like, I just got so much free time in this architecture thing, right?
1: (laughs) I enjoyed it. I would not have traded um, my cheer experience for anything. It was wonderful. I really enjoyed being a cheerleader there.
0: That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And... um, you, just so I can say everybody's aware, so you you finished at Tech. I did. Came back to Noonan. Mm-hmm. You worked for a firm here in Noonan for a while, right? I
1: mm-hmm. worked over the summer for different summers. I, I did okay. a um, several internships. I wanted to, as you can understand, architecture is a wide variety of options. Right. Um, and I didn't really know where I wanted to be. Okay. So after working for the construction company, I went and worked for a small... Um, Harrison Architects here in Noonan, mm-hmm. um, working on things such as a skilled nursing unit, um, addition to a hospital, to a single-family home. He was a you know, couple of persons in the office and you know small operation. And then right. I went and worked for a very large organization that next summer, mm-hmm. which is um, Dana Larson Rubel and Associates at the time. Um, I don't know if they've... Um, merged into something else at this point. But mm-hmm. they had 13 locations around the United oh, wow. States. And yeah. I went and worked at their Overland Park, Kansas office the okay. summer of the Olympics. Oh, um, okay. Tech closed down early and opened late. Okay. So we had maybe a five-month summer at that point. So wow. I went to um, Overland Park and worked there. They were the largest jail designer in the world.
0: That's a odd.
1: Um, it is. <laughs> odd claim to fame. <laughs> but we did. We did a very interesting design-build project. Um, of a medium security prison right next to a maximum security prison and I learned a lot about um, believe it or not as as horrible as it sounds it was a really interesting design challenge
0: okay why why is that
1: well you've got to figure out how to keep someone safely inside of a building right while also making sure that they can get out of it if it catches on fire right you know that kind of thing um, and so, keep somebody from coming
0: into the building that's right. as well. So exactly. Okay.
1: So there were lots of design challenges there. Um, everything from maintenance, you know, we were building um, replicas of the chases between cells so that some, a maintenance person wouldn't have to go inside of a cell okay. to maintain the pipes and all the, you know, mechanicals and that kind of stuff within it. Right. Um, and yet... You know, the requirements from the Bureau of Prisons um, Department of Corrections is, you know, nothing more than five inches, no pipes, no more than five inches. you got to have bars within all ventilation and all these different things. So it's things I hadn't been exposed to that were really interesting um, uh, things that we had to do. And, of course, we're out in the middle of nowhere. Right in Kansas. That's right. So, you know, we're going to go visit the site, and it's just... Nothing, I mean, as far as the eye can see is cornfields, you know, and we're we're driving um, uh, to go visit our site. And, of course, you know, it became a different thing when I got out there and saw all these people. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know what? This is a great design challenge. Mm. But when it comes down to it, this is just not what I want to do. Right. Um, This is designing a place that's going to hold people. Um who've committed crimes, and that's just not how I want to spend my life absolutely um, however, we did other projects such as natatoriums for these large school systems mm-hmm. you know that were you know had uh, a huge population. I was used to much smaller schools in Georgia at the time right and um, seeing you know schools with large programs where they had kind of this um this kind of cluster kind of idea where they break okay. these big schools up into small pods and that kind of thing so mm-hmm. they could have larger amenities like mm-hmm. a natatorium. Right. Um, so worked on some of those um, and uh, even got a chance to work on a stadium. Um At one point, they had their own internal system at that point to work there. So it was a really great experience. Mm -hmm. I'd never been to the Midwest. About September, it got cold, and I was like, yep, (laughs) I'm ready to go home. Going back to Georgia. (laughs) We're still 90 degrees (laughs) in September. I hear you. you. So that and then the last uh, couple of architecture firms I worked for um, was um, um, uh, R.L. Brown and Associates out of Decatur. Okay. I worked on um, a wastewater treatment plant with them, but they're bread and butter with schools in DeKalb okay. County. So worked on some, des- some models for mm-hmm. them for that, and that was fun. Um, I actually had a really great opportunity there. It was a me- medium-sized firm with a very dynamic leader who taught me a lot about leadership. Robert Brown's a great guy. Okay. And then the last firm was Historical Concepts. Um, Historical Concepts is in Peachtree City. And they are the tippy top of the pyramid of high end housing that has classically proportions. Um, Just to give you a reference, they are the ones who did the design work for Ben Affleck's house in Riceboro, right outside of Savannah. Okay. A beautiful southern mansion Mm -hmm. that was brand new, that if you went through it, you'd think, hey, how long has that house been here? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, oh yeah, they just built that. So that is the biggest compliment you can give them is to think that a house that they recently built, a brand new house, is an old house. That means they did it right. Right. So, um, so I really enjoyed working for them. That was the kind of projects where you have the main house, the bunk house, the carriage house on you know an estate. This is not you know usually a single house here. This this is. Top dollar mm-hmm. money is usually not necessarily an object in this, and you give them a top first-class option, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, do you y- y- y'all
0: do that at your habitat in, in Southern yeah, Crescent? right? Yeah. everything's top class.
1: I mean, but you know Gold. what? That's the thing. When you learn how to do it on that scale, right, it makes it a lot easier to take those design principles and apply it to a smaller product. Because one of the things that they did that I really love and that um, we've actually been talking about is taking their guest houses, for instance, um, which are usually two bedrooms, two bath, a living room, kitchen design, mm-hmm. you know, 1,200 square feet. And maybe looking at that being something that we can retrofit, you know, downgrade the, you know, we're not getting granite countertops. And, right. You know, that kind of stuff or marble showers. but using those design principles to create Mm -hmm. attractive, affordable housing. Mm
0: -hmm. That's an interesting idea.
1: And so that is a conversation we have been having, Mm -hmm. um, is how do we take their design principles um, and their Our Town Plans, which you can go look at those at OurTownPlans.com, and looking at how attractive those houses are and then taking out some of the things, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of keeping the essence of their design while taking, um, down the finishes and things like that, mm-hmm. but you still have a space that lives very large. Right. Um, so yeah, um, that has been the transition. Fortunately, I came to Southern Crescent with wonderful plants. Mm-hmm. We have a neighborhood um, in Lovejoy, the Hannah Springs Development that has three-bedroom, two-bath and four-bedroom, two-bath homes that are um, well-designed, um, small homes that uh, are very attractive, mm-hmm. have this craftsman style. When,
0: when you say small homes, just for the listeners, mm-hmm. what, what does that translate to in Lovejoy?
1: In Lovejoy, that means we're building homes that are approximately 1,300 square feet.
0: Okay, All right. um, so it's so around about where yeah. at, it's not one of the... You know, I know that a lot of the metro communities, mm-hmm. you know, end up in 1,800 square foot minimums and stuff like that. So that's that's not the case. So it is a true kind of typical habitat size.
1: It is a typical habitat size, which most of your listeners will know is still smaller than what the municipalities and counties require now right. um, in most places. So we have to go through the variance process. And we're still doing advocacy to show that these smaller homes are still very much so needed. And that they serve their purpose. It's not just about their initial investment either. Right. You know, a lot of times we'll hear, well, let's just subsidize so that you can build a bigger house. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, but over the life of the home, that person still needs to have reasonable heating and cooling bills and mm-hmm. maintenance bills and things like that. So Huge let's point. not, you know, become short-sighted about how affordability and affordable home ownership works. Right. You know, some people forget that a lot of our communities were built on those post-World War II smaller homes that were a thousand square feet, three bedroom, one bath, which is what I live in. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a three bedroom kit house mm-hmm. that was my grandparents. Um, was it a
0: true kit house, like from yeah. the Sears Roebuck? Yeah. Yeah. Really? It was
1: one of those. As a matter of fact, I found the book Did you really? <laughs> where they got it from oh, that's cool. in the house. And so they had it built. It was mm-hmm. a three-bedroom, um, one-bath house. Um, it's It was under 1,000 square feet. It was 900 and something square feet. And the only reason why it's... A thousand square feet now, because I took the little room mm-hmm. that used to be separated from the rest of the house and enclosed that to be the um, laundry room. Okay. Because my grandmother hung her clothes up outside. Mm-hmm. I am I'm, I'm not doing that. I, so. <laughs> I respect that decision. I respect it one hundred and ten
0: percent. Let me just say that.
1: Exactly. So, um, so you know, my bills are not high. My you know, and I think that our families need that and Absolutely. need the opportunity to have a home that they can be proud of and still afford that is attractive to the community. Mm-hmm. So marrying that architectural background with my care and concern for the community and just my own experience mm-hmm. um, are some of the things I really love about the challenge and the reward of working for Habitat.
0: And. I'd like to kind of explore that challenge side of things mm-hmm. if we can, because, sure. you know, when you came to Southern Crescent, mm-hmm. um, I think it's fair to say there were some legitimate challenges taking place there, right? I mean, it was, yeah. it, you know, I look at Southern Crescent now as what it's come over the last almost six years that you've been there. And I mean, it's light years from where it was. I mean, you guys are serving way more families. You've got a thriving restore. You've got all of these great things going for you. But it wasn't there when you got there, so, or it's, it wasn't in that condition when you got there, and it took you a lot of time and a lot of hard work to get it there. Talk, walk us through that process of where they were and and kind of what you've had to do as a leader to get them to where they are today.
1: Well, first, I don't want to, um, I want to put it into context. Mm-hmm. It's a thirty-six year old organization right. that had a wonderful foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that couple of years where things went south, mm-hmm. the organization was well run, mm-hmm. well organized and, and the people in the community respected Southern Crescent Habitat. Right. Um, so that I think was the biggest um, thing we had to work with okay. when I first got there was yeah. its history. Right. And the work that people before me Um, had put into that organization Mm -hmm. and who um, uh, came back Mm -hmm. to help right the ship um, prior to handing it off to me.
0: Oh, okay, so some of those folks who had helped to build that mm -hmm. foundation. Okay, that's great. That's That's an important point to me. Yes,
1: some of those board members really dug in after um, um, things didn't go the way they should have Mm -hmm. and really worked to uh, hand off an organization that was turned back around, um, but still had a whole lot of work to do. And then the next best thing I think I did was open up the books and the challenge to the entire team. This was not something where I went into my office and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. This was, you guys are here. You guys love this organization, have a lot of institutional knowledge that I don't have. And all of our heads working together Mm. is what can make um, us go in the right direction here. And then hiring good people after that. Right. So um, it's definitely a team effort um, to get us where we are. Um, I tell people all the time, my my staff is better than yours. (laughs) (laughs) So,
0: you know... uh we were just talking about this before we got started you do have an amazing staff i do i mean like everyone on your staff is just fantastic i mean they're just great and i love the idea of what you're saying there that you came into the organization and you you brought them right in and said here's where we're at here's Mm -hmm. where we need to go you know how to get us there how do we do it Mm -hmm. were they receptive to that
1: Yes, I think that um one of the things that was um a challenge in our organization was the siloing of information really and okay. siloing of of um, um participation okay um there had been a mentality of you keep your head down and mind your business mm. over here, and that that is definitely not how I work, and right. that is not how we are now right um, so Uh, building trust by being transparent Mm -hmm. um, was uh, I think the the biggest thing that I did um, that built trust among the staff members and trusting their input. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a mortgage portfolio that wasn't performing the way it should Mm -hmm. and empowering our family services staff to be able to use all the tools available to them to help fix that Mm -hmm. um, was important. Because it certainly wasn't like I was making phone calls to these homeowners. Right. It, it was our staff members that were doing that and our board members and our family selection committee who were doing that. Right. Um, but giving them the authority to say, this is the way we're going to go, and I will back you up when you come to me with this these um, options. Right. Um, and they did their jobs and did it very well. Um, construction team, you know, giving them the um, the freedom to... Uh, do what they needed to do to um, get our construction in. That was the area that I had the most experience in. Family services was the area I had the least Mm -hmm. um, experience with. So relying on those experts who are on our staff to give their opinions and to listen Mm -hmm. to their expertise um, and take that in consideration when I am making overall decisions for Mm -hmm. the company were paramount to our success.
0: Yeah, I, you know, what I'm hearing you say there, I love this in the idea that when you came in, you immediately brought them on and gave them responsibility, right? Here, we're, we're going to work through this as a team.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But you didn't just give them the responsibility. You also gave them that support, you mm-hmm. know, of being able to say, okay, I'm going to stand behind you when you do this. Because I think that's such a, an important thing as a leader is is not just saying, I want you to do this but I'm going to be here with you as you go through it because I know you're going to hit hiccups and you're going to hit roadblocks. Mm-hmm. And my job as a leader is to support you as you work through that. And that sounds like what you did there. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: and it's funny because, you know, when you come into a nonprofit situation, you have a lot of compassion for for the situations that people Absolutely. find themselves in, and as you should. Um, but then there's the responsibility. You know, it's once you've heard the the um excuses and things like that as to why you can't do what you said you right. were going to do um which of course people who've been there a long time had heard these excuses and things like that from a select few because believe me it wasn't everybody it was no, just sometimes it's, always... it's you spend a lot of time on 20 percent of the people right it's 80 you know. <laughs> <it's> 20 right <laughs> that's right 80 uh, percent of your time on the 20 percent um, of people they gave me enough time to get past some of that okay. um, and the understanding and to talk through those things, mm-hmm. like did we offer this? Did we offer that? Did we offer this? And when those answers were yes, it was okay, then let's do this right. um, um, I think our biggest asset at our at our affiliate is our team mm-hmm. the there are not many affiliates our size that can boast having former bankers on staff who understand the mortgage process, who understand um, that aspect of the family services part. Um, a lot of affiliates I talked to had social workers mm-hmm. on staff. And yes, there's, a, there's definitely a, a role for that, but I found the benefit in having bankers on staff um, has been immeasurable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, having a licensed contractor on staff Mm. is a huge deal for us. Yeah. Um, Having a competent development team that can put on a good event Mm -hmm. um, and raise money. Mm -hmm. It's been invaluable. And then having um, good finance staff Mm -hmm. um, has been great. We have... um, our finance person, <laughs> who's a reluctant finance guy right now, <laughs> he um, had 20, 20 some odd years of military. Um, he's a veteran, okay, and worked in military finance for twenty something years. Really, and um, during our downturn right before I got there, our interim said, "And you're our new finance guy." <laughs> oh my gosh! And he was committed enough to the minute to the ministry of habitat to step into that role. Right, and so. Um, but all he really wants to do is get back out there um, and build houses yeah. with with buddies and have a good time and um, do some good for our community. So, so by the way, we're looking for a finance person. If you're listening, yeah, and
0: send it to me. I'll put it on the kudzu vine if you want. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think this. Um, when you were saying what you're saying, I um, you got my brain kind of turning. Because at the 21 conference, and I know you you were there for this,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I talked about one of the things that I see as an, an affiliate killer is the martyr mentality, where people, especially executive directors, we're so prone to doing this, where we think we have to carry the weight of the world and we have to do it all. You know what I mean? It's like we can't, um, not that we should go into silos, but mm-hmm. that we should... Recognize the strengths people have, let them play to those strengths and empower them to to operate
2: Mm -hmm. under
0: those strengths. But I see a lot of times it's easy in our business to say, because we are compassionate and we care about the ministry, it's like, I'm going to carry all of these burdens and I'm going to wear all of these hats. And we kind of pride ourselves on that, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But to our own detriment, do you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And and so it sounds like you walked into that situation and I think it could have been very easy for you to do that to probably walk in and say, I'm going to you know, handle everything, but you didn't do that. And that and I think is a very I interesting concept. Really. I, I couldn't do that. Really?
1: I couldn't do that. I recognized very quickly that, um, one, the people who were hired to do those jobs mm-hmm. were much better at it than me, mm-hmm. and there was no way I was going to come in and try to do stuff that I didn't necessarily know how to do. That's um they were looking to me for direction they were looking to me for strategy um and then they were looking to be um empowered right. to do their jobs right um and so that's what we did that's um awesome. and it um there were you know when I first got there there were nights I would be there till midnight just kind of trying to figure it all out mm-hmm. um, and catch up, especially on the family services mm-hmm. side. My previous nonprofit experience with housing had been as a nonprofit developer where we didn't have the family services side to really worry about. Right, just built. You know, we just found land, built a house, sold it. We didn't carry mortgages. Mm-hmm. We had partner organizations that we work with to deal with the family side of it, you right. know, who the homeowner was going to be. Did y'all build with volunteers? Uh, no, those, those organizations did not. So um, you,
0: you had the advantage of taking away all the hard parts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we, we did. We did not have um, volunteers. We didn't have, you know, I, as a matter of fact, my very first job right out of college was with the Reynoldstown Town Revitalization Corporation in Atlanta, okay. in Reynoldstown Town neighborhood. Right. And I was uh, an assistant um, uh, development manager. Okay. Um, So I worked with the person who was in charge of managing the contractors and and getting the house built. And so all of our work was subcontracted out. It's not like we had a general contractor on staff. And, you know, I went out there and looked at drawings and made sure that, you know, when the inspectors came out, I was going out there with them and Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, really just learning the nonprofit part um, process. As a matter of fact, I was one of the first um, human capital um, fellows that Atlanta Neighborhood Development Partnership yeah. had done when they were an in- intermediary. Oh, okay. nice. Yeah, okay. now they actually do building, but at that time, right. they were an intermediary. So they right. go after big foundations and then um, split that money up through the Atlanta neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, A-HAND was an organization that worked with them at the time. That was okay. Atlanta Housing and Neighborhood Developers, I think is what it was. I was- yeah, I can't remember.
0: Because <laughs> A-N-D-P or Association was Association of Or uh,
1: Association of Housing and Neighborhood Developers. I okay. think that's what okay. it was. Fair. And um, being the, the fellow, they were looking for midlife career changers and for... Um, younger people who wanted to make nonprofit life a a career path okay and so i literally graduated that saturday and went to work that monday nice at reynolds Town. very nice and so learned that whole process um with them and then worked with tyler place community development corporation over in the vine city neighborhood mm-hmm. um after that um and then a nonprofit here in noonan and um consultancy that kind of thing right and then went back into the for-profit world with um, um, historical concepts mm-hmm. and then said well you know what what I really want to do is be is is to be back in affordable housing that was right. one of the things that I ran my city council um, uh, campaign on really? was to to deal with affordable housing I wanted mm-hmm. to see more opportunities for that and city of Noonan received um, NSP funds mm-hmm. um, during the Great Recession, NSP 2 and 3, I do believe, and we're still rotating those funds throughout the community yeah. um, and partner with the Noonan Coweta Habitat as mm-hmm. well as the Housing Authority to to um, administer those funds and, mm-hmm. and build new homes. And then I thought, well, I really would really like to do this every day. Mm-hmm. And it was the then um, executive director, director of the Noonan Coweta. Habitat, who mm-hmm. said, "Well, they're looking for an ED over in Jonesboro. Mm-hmm. You ought to try for that." And literally, it was the night before the closing of the application when I sent it in. Oh wow! Yep.
0: So you like it came in there at the eleventh hour. I did. Wow. I did. That's awesome. Yep. That's really awesome. That's um. I didn't realize that to be yep. honest with you. I was under the impression that you had gotten like recruited. Um. I I do want to back up to something you said mm-hmm. earlier about your 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 people and this. We didn't talk about this but you and i were talking about this offline mm-hmm. before we got started but one of the things that i think when you talk about your, your team and how important they are to you is mm-hmm. you you work hard to try and take care of them i do and and i know that they try to take care of you as well it's like talk a little bit about that about as a, a leader and affiliate how do you manage that um family-like atmosphere i don't know if i even want to use that term um but but you know, to take care of people while at the same time getting the job done. I guess that's what I'm trying to say.
1: You know, it's interesting. I'm a natural introvert, so people are not what? exactly the... Yeah, I know people hear that and are like, really? I'm like, yeah, I, I don't...
0: I'm not actually sure that I believe that.
1: You, you, I know you don't. <laughs> because I do real a, a really good job at trying to... Um, be open and honest but it's real it's really easy when it's something i care about Oh, okay to to talk about those I, i care about affordable housing i care about um experiences that families have you know a lot of the the folks that um that i've worked with in the nonprofit sector have reminded me of family members have reminded me of people i know that i grew up with who need the same services and all so I'm passionate about it, Um, but I'm not exactly one of those people who know all the ins and outs of your family, you know. Um, I'll be honest, one of the hires that I did was Mm -hmm. because that person filled something I felt like I lacked. And that was Liz. Yeah. I hired Liz. Um, now,
0: Liz, if you, if you ever try to tell me Liz was an introvert,
1: no, she's not. I was
0: say, she is the, I, I mean, she's not, I think even calling her an extrovert would be an understatement. It's not enough? Yeah. That's a really, and I hope she hears this and, yes. uh, and knows this because and she can talk with me about it at the conference, but yeah, no, yeah. No. Now, that makes sense to, I mean, no. that's wise to hire somebody who's like, Hey, I know that you have this skill that I don't have.
1: That's right. They absolutely did. And um, her personality shined through in the interview. She had had some experience working for Habitat um, Atlanta Habitat, as a matter of fact. Did and she really? She did. She worked for them for a little bit, and um, was looking for a more permanent position. Okay. And hired her to basically answer the phones and the doors. Mm-hmm. And now she's our CLO.
0: Right. I didn't. I didn't know that she. That's where she started, mm-hmm. and then worked. Her, she okay. sure did. That's awesome. She I, sure um, did. I just love Liz, by the way. I like she is so much fun.
2: Yeah,
1: like, she's she a lot of fun.
0: She she is. So, I, I remember the very first time I met her. I don't know if you, I don't know if she told you about this or not. <laughs> we uh, we talked because she lived in D.C. for a while, and she's uh, but she lived in Brooklyn. I think mm-hmm. is where she was, and then to D.C. and we ended up having a conversation about Biggie Smalls.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> Why was, does this not surprise like, me? Like,
0: that was—I don't even know how we got to it. I think because she was like, I had—I was actually listening to Biggie Smalls in my truck, and mm-hmm. she was like, "Oh, so I'm, you know, from Brooklyn," mm-hmm. and uh, she talked about meeting him one time yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So um, yeah. that has absolutely nothing to do with Habitat leadership. No, it's just me but,
1: loving but, your staff. Great but people. what it is—it was funny because I was like, "Okay, I needed um, the the things that I'd heard from staff." about how things used to be before I got there that they liked okay. were having a younger set of people in the office who gave it a lot of energy oh, and it made okay. it fun to work there. Okay. And so one of the things that I was looking for was somebody who was going to be able to bring that to the table Okay. when I knew I wasn't going to be able to. Okay. Um,
0: the energy side? Or yeah, the, that okay. energy, that just fun
1: age. loving, you know, stuff, yeah. you know, in the office. And... Um, you know, and she came in with a a level of candor about you know what she wanted to do, where she wanted to be, mm-hmm. and just this um, bright ball of sunshine. Right. And I thought she'll be a great addition to our team. Mm-hmm. And then I pointedly said to her, "I need you to help me with raising the morale mm-hmm. around here, okay, um, so that we can get through some of these." humps that we're going to have to rebuild if the team isn't um, energized and isn't um, taken care of emotionally Mm -hmm. then we're not going to get where we need to go and I know that is not my strength so I I purposefully wanted to have someone that had that kind of experience so I asked her a lot of questions in her interview along with the other two people who were interviewing at the time um, with me a lot of questions about customer service, about mm. you know philosophies and work and that kind of thing, and she just kind of you know really stood out, of course. And that was um, she was the first of two really really great hires. Mm-hmm. The other was Tiffany, who had interviewed at the same time. And yeah. the next opening we had, we hired her, which was literally a month apart. Yeah. So the two of them um, have been really wonderful hires, and Tiffany got hired for that same job and is now our development director.
0: So all right. For, for folks listening who've listened to the podcast before I usually have a very standard set of questions I ask people and you and I both cannot find those questions today so I'm we're, I'm just going to take this on wherever it leads okay <laughs> just so people understand where we're going because I want to take a very different direction with you a line of questioning because you 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 got my mind kind of racing
2: mm-hmm.
0: when you're talking about Liz coming in and recognizing her strengths versus your strengths I want to ask a question about leadership and ego Mm -hmm. because I would think to be the chief executive of this organization and to recognize that you have this tremendous need for a morale boost and being able to say, hey, I realize that's not something I can bring to the table. Mm -hmm. I need somebody who can bring that to the table. Like to me, that takes a certain level of like, like that costs you something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like to, to, to be that chief executive and be able to say, I need this. I don't have it. I got to find somebody who does. Mm-hmm. Like, did, did it take time to kind of get there? Or was it just one of those things that you were just like, because you've also said candor several times now mm-hmm. in our conversation where we've, we've, you've, you've hinted around mm-hmm. about honesty. I mean, was it just something that you were just like, look, this thing is going to work. I got to get somebody with this skill set. And that's that.
1: It was pretty obvious because some of the folks who were um, essential to the organization Really talked about what made them want to be there okay. was um, the energy and the really? the atmosphere. Because okay. I mean, if you work for a nonprofit, particularly a like Habitat affiliate, um, it's not like we're able to compete with you know for-profit companies. Right. right. So the thing that keeps you there is your love for the mission and your love for the organization and your everyday experience. Absolutely. And so, if that is what's keeping you there and doing a good job, then I could have an ego and say, well, you know, I'm going to try and do this, or they just need to work for this reason. Right. Or, I can say, this is what my team needs. Let Mm. me find it. Wow. Wow. Um, That's... And not try to be something I know I can. That self-awareness is... Honestly, at that time, because of the situation that it was, I thought, ooh, should I have stepped into this? <laughs> <laughs>
2: See, you need 2nd yourself a little bit, huh?
1: Or um, that was a thought that mm-hmm. I had when I had that Come to Jesus meeting with um, our finance guy, and I said, wait a minute, where are we exactly financially? Yeah, right. and, um, and then my second thought was, well, if God led me to it, it can't get any worse so let's just (laughs) let's let's just look at this from a cup half full and see where we can go um from here yeah so what do we need and um yeah and so then I started being real honest with myself about what I could bring to the table and what I couldn't right and then what I needed to find
0: right that's so that's pretty tremendous I mean that's to, to come in there and do that assessment both of yourself and of the organization Mm -hmm. and being able to reconcile those two things and make a decision that is based not upon maybe what you necessarily want to do or what is uh, I'm going to say self-congratulatory or you know you know wanting to be the the big shot and save the day but saying hey this is what we need and my job here as the leader is to see those needs are met not necessarily through me right but through others who
1: and it's kind of interesting because when you have that um you know certain needs in your organization that you can't meet you then are putting yourself in a position where you hope that people see um the value in what you did Mm -hmm. as opposed to well this person is is doing these things and you know, it, it's a lot there, and it takes a lot of communication. And, right. you know, it's kind of funny because, um, you know, Liz is a great communicator, um, a really great communicator. Yeah. Um, you, you, you will not leave Liz wondering what she But she and I have to work out the different personalities. So we've done sure. some things mm-hmm. um, to try and figure each other out so that we better our communication. <laughs> really. So, you know, like the staff, we went and did a disk assessment. So, we could find down. out the personalities on the whole team. And mm-hmm. it's not just personalities, it's how to work best with that personality. You learn right. your starts, your stops, your best way of communicating, your um, buttons not to push and mm-hmm. buttons to push, you know, those nice. kind of things amongst your whole team. And when did you find you do, out when what did you, you do that? We did that probably two years ago. Really? I had um, um, a consultant come in, Cynthia Colbreth, with mm-hmm. a wonderful change. Um, she's an industrial engineer. Um, uh, that I've long for a long known for a long time. She is a double jacket, as a matter of fact, got oh, yeah. her undergraduate and graduate degree from Georgia Tech.
0: Is that what you call them a double jacket?
1: Double jacket. <laughs> that's right. And so she um, she started a company after um, doing a lot of years of of um, industrial engineering and that's mm-hmm. process improvement and that kind of thing. And, right. and human resources was what she switched to, oh. um, also for Duracell and. Procter & Gamble and some others, and started her own company, um, A Wonderful Change. And she came in and did the disc assessment as well as helped us with a um, strategic plan. Nice. And she led us through the disc assessment, and we found out, okay, so this is how all of these personality types fit together. Wow! And my assessment of Liz was correct because she was a lar- a whole lot on the I side, which really? is that inner, yeah. personal, you know, personal um, thing. And I was very high on the the D, which was the dominant, the the um, steady, and the um, conscientious. So basically detail oriented, able right. to make decisions, even though I do take my time sometimes on them because right. I like to analyze the data first. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those people. Yeah. Right. Um but I needed somebody like a Liz who is more of a I'm gonna get it down to the the essence of it very quickly. Right. And um so I think we play very well off of each other. Right. We just had to do some work right. to really learn to communicate better.
0: To get that balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, because
1: I'm a visual learner, so I like text and emails, and she mm. likes to talk. You really? And I ramble when I talk, so I don't like to do it that much.
0: <laughs> for, 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 for people who are listening, I, I, hope, I hope my board chair, I hope Eric listens to this, because we literally <laughs> talked about this this week. You and I talked for an hour before we even started recording that's right, right. <laughs> I, I, i'm with you on that believe me i feel you
1: i'm a storyteller i'm no, telling I you people are like they they i've got a story for everything and i i believe it at this point that i no. really do have a story for everything hey,
0: I, you know you haven't disappointed <laughs> me yet and i love hearing it i mean you know um i feel bad for donna constantly having to listen to me i can I can hear the tone of her voice sometimes, it's like, oh, my God, is he going to keep going on with this? Uh, so <laughs> we probably need to do a DISC assessment and figure out some ways to work Went together. Um, so let me ask this question. What, so that's very interesting. I, I have not spoken with an affiliate. I mean, a lot of affiliates do strategic plans. Mm-hmm. But never one that has brought in and done the personality assessment for you did just the staff, not the board.
2: Not the board, just the the staff. staff.
0: What was the motivation behind that? Was it just in conversation with this consultant? She recommended it or what?
1: Um, No, we had a situation where when I first got there, we only had the affiliate. And then the restore was separate. It was owned by Habitat International. That's right. And then, gosh, less than a year of me being in there, it was time to renew the contract Mm -hmm. or to look at the outs of the contract. And... um, so Habitat International came down to my office. I had actually forgotten they were coming, <laughs> and I had a little sweatshirt on and said, uh, okay, well, I read the contract, and thanks. You know, keep sending us that, sh- yeah. that profit share, and we're, we're real happy. Right. And I said, no, I don't think you understand. We want to get out of the Habitat right. Restore business right. and, um, you know, get the affiliates to run them. Mm-hmm. You know, their research has shown that affiliates were run... Um, Restores were very successful, right. and that they had started that as a way to kickstart restores in certain markets, and had always planned to get out of it at some point. Right, and so we weren't ready. Okay, <laughs> and I asked them for a couple of more years, and they gave it to me. Okay, to be able to get our affiliate back in a place where we felt that we could handle the extra stress of a, a restore. Mm-hmm. Um, so with a whole different location, mm-hmm. a whole new team we had people who were there after the calamity mm-hmm. who didn't have that collective trauma really <laughs> <laughs> okay. of what right. had happened yeah um, and we really needed to work on understanding each other better. Yeah. I needed that I'm a analytical type mm-hmm. you know I, I like data I like to to know what I'm working with you know I don't have that innate ability to just look at somebody and say, okay, I think they're this kind of person, and this is how our team needs to shape up. Really? I really wanted to get some data on that, I wanted to find out who we, who was in the room. I had done a similar personality type um, uh, situation with Leadership Georgia back in mm-hmm. 2007. We had the Emergenetics, yeah, it Emergenetics. was very helpful to understand how different people communicate, mm-hmm. and. And to understand group dynamics mm. who you need on your team so now as i'm hiring i know where our deficits are ah. and can try to look for those traits in nice. people when nice. we hire nice so that,
0: that's a that's a really interesting idea i mean i think that's it's pretty brilliant um it, and, and it's funny you say that about recognizing people one of the things I don't know if I ever told you this. Uh, the very first time I came to see you at mm-hmm. your office, I, I I got a pretty I think I got a pretty good read on who you were, and I was like, I'm gonna like this lady because she's really honest. <laughs> like she she she's honest. Like she's gonna tell you things that like she's not gonna just say something that you want to hear, and like I, I respect that a lot. But I I like the fact that you sat down, and did that analysis, and didn't just take it as a one off. Hey, we're doing a team building exercise, and here's what your personality is. Go forth and have fun with that. You took it, and you actually built your team around it. Is what it sounds like.
1: That's what we're trying to do. You know, yeah. at the time, um, you know, we have had a couple of hires since then, mm-hmm. um, and you know, keeping that in the back of my head, and right. you know letting my team say, hey, you know, don't look for a person that is exactly like you. Let's look for somebody who fits, but brings some skill sets to the table Mm. that you don't have. I think that that's what, sometimes it's so easy to Mm -hmm. try and find somebody you're going to get along with so well that you want to go have a drink with after work. But the truth is, you really also need to find somebody who really does bring some things to the table that you don't have.
0: I couldn't agree more that that's something I've told Donna a number of times. Like the thing that when I was looking for her positions, I specifically was looking for somebody who is good at the things I'm not good at. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I I didn't need somebody who was good at the same things I was, you Mm -hmm. know, but you still have to have a relatability, right? It's important. You do. Um, You know, and, and, but I think that's really, you know, that's a, to me, I think a valuable leadership trait to be able to sit down and say, okay, I know where I'm, I know where I am, Mm -hmm. and I know where I want us to be, and I know what kind of person I need us to get there. And they they may not be my carbon copy, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And so you said your team actually contributes to that as well. So if you guys yeah, they do, they do. As a matter
1: of fact, um, you know, the departmentally, you know, the the team members have done the first brush of um, uh, locating who the next person is going to be, and then I get brought in. Okay, and. because I I want them to be comfortable with whoever it is right. that's getting selected. I don't want them to feel like the person they're going to spend the most time with is selected by somebody who right. doesn't understand what they're doing um, and who they ultimately had no say in. Yeah, that yeah. that doesn't make sense you would to just me. Hand them so, off. Yeah. um I want them to should be involved in that, but the other side of it is now I get to stand back a little bit and mm-hmm. say, okay, well, this person meets the criteria, this person does this, and ask various questions at this point. And I have staff members who don't have my personality also in the room right? Um, to get a better holistic look, mm-hmm. and hopefully that'll give us a better choice, because you've got people who are looking at different things and from different perspectives to discuss who that next staff member will be.
0: Awesome, I I wouldn't shift gears on this Mm -hmm. because I I think we're actually kind of leading in this direction, but I'm going to press the accelerator and move us there because I I know we're coming down to time as well. And you and I have had a lot of conversations about this. We had some of it offline beforehand. Mm -hmm. I would really like to see, I mean, because your sort of leadership style is the one that I think is going to help carry us as Habitat moves forward, you know, with the Habitat 2.0 stuff and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Uh, We've talked a lot about regionalization Mm -hmm. and, and that sort of thing. Where are you seeing Habershats? I was about. (laughs) I don't know what that is. I must have been thinking of that up in uh, northeast Georgia, Habersham County. Where where do you where do you see? I'm going to leave that in. We're not going to cut that out. I like that.
1: I was just thinking that's going to get on the floor. Yeah,
0: right. (laughs) Um, Where do you see habitats' leadership needs over the next several years? I mean, you you I think habitat had a unique perspective because you're. You're not just in a metro area, but I mean covering Fayette and Henry, I mean you're covering some rural communities as well and looking into moving into some other communities. Mm-hmm. Where do you see Habitat's biggest leadership vacuum and how do we fill that?
1: Hmm. That's a good question.
0: I've got a lot of seconds. So um
1: all right. <laughs> uh, I think that at the last Habitat International Conference. Um, I think Jonathan and uh, uh, Jonathan Reckford, the Mm -hmm. international CEO and the executive team were in the right place in saying we needed to serve more people and build more Mm -hmm. and that we've got to not just continue to look at the status quo Mm -hmm. and say, how do we, you know, how do we keep up with the rules as they are? Mm truth be told, we've got to be very innovative in Mm -hmm. trying to meet the need because housing is not getting better. No. It is getting worse.
0: Demonstrably worse.
1: And we have got to look outside of the box. We've got to figure out new ways to deliver more um, uh, to our folks. We've got to Advocate like we've never advocated before to get people to understand the importance of it. Because putting my city council hat on, you know, we often hear, "Well, I don't want to, um, you know, I want to, I don't want any more development coming in that is affordable. You know, we have enough affordable." I'm like, "Well, wait a minute, we we really don't. <laughs> um, you know, so there's the." Um, the the apartments versus uh, uh, houses and, you know, the, the big developments, all this other stuff. And most of that stuff that's coming in is not affordable in, in no. any stretches. No. I think the thing that Habitat has going for us that is not talked about enough is that it's an affordable home ownership opportunity. Right. And we're not talking about... Um, you know, subsidized housing, we're not talking mm-hmm. about your housing authority products, we're not talking about big apartments. What we're talking about is an opportunity for a person to become a homeowner right. and the stability that that brings to not only that family but to that community. Right. And so I think we really need to start to work harder at changing the hearts and minds of people in the communities because those are the people who will come out and say, no, I don't want that um, neighborhood or no I want you to increase your um, uh, building requirements such that no we we want 2,000 square feet brick on all four sides and you know because that's what's cute in our community as opposed to no there are other ways that you can get that attractiveness in a product that is actually affordable mm-hmm. um, you know we also need to start, going back to some of the things that people can relate to, like starter homes. We are using those terminology. People understand what a starter home is. That's right. It's a three-bedroom, two-bath house that many people grew up in Mm -hmm. or that their parents um, grew up in, that they used to see their grandparents in. Those homes provided love and shelter and a place for them to get on their feet and be as prosperous as they were throughout their lives. And we're getting to the point where we don't build those anymore. That's right. And Habitat is one of the few that does. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that advocacy is a big deal, that we really need to get down to your everyday person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping that under Habitat 2.0 we can start doing commercials and things like that to explain the, the big idea that your the people who provide the services in your community that make your quality of life so great. Teachers, policemen. Exactly. Yeah. All those people who are hardworking Americans want the same thing you do. That's right. And that if they're gonna get that, we need to provide it in our community. Um, and then I think the next thing is that we need to, as an organization, also up our up our game mm-hmm. in terms of design. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't expect for people to talk bad about the designs, um, uh, to to embrace you without having a design that looks good. Right. Um, and that's that architect in me. That's yeah, right. like, look, right. you know, you can build an affordable home that's still attractive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know we have design competitions and that kind of thing within the Habitat Affiliates, but let's just be honest, maybe we need to start looking at um, providing some prototypes to mm-hmm. affiliates that, especially those that have historic areas mm-hmm. where you want to do infield development, um, so that your local, especially your smaller municipalities, mm-hmm. don't have to try and figure it out themselves. Right, right. Um, And then the other side is that we've got a lot of smaller affiliates that are out there doing great work, um, and maybe supporting them, or supporting somehow to get to those areas that aren't served, Mm. because you being with the state know that we've diminished in number of affiliates across the state, Um, and there are a variety of reasons for that. That's right. But what it boils down to is that's one segment of our community that's not getting served. That's right. And we need to serve more by spreading our footprint as opposed to shrinking our footprint. 100%.
0: Well, I am a firm believer on always ending on a high note. And I don't think it gets any higher than that. I (laughs) absolutely love to hear this. Um, Cynthia, thank you so much for your time and for your leadership, everything that you do. I hope you know that you're appreciated. And thanks for sharing that wealth of knowledge with us on the podcast today. Thank you. Well, with that said, we are going to head off. Have a great day.
1: Thanks, you too.